number three. Again, I appreciate your being in church today. What a blessing that is. Jonah chapter number three. And I know Jonah's one of those books kind of tucked away there toward the end of the New Testament, or the Old Testament rather, and uh, it's not always the easiest one. It's one of those you, you try to get in the neighborhood and hope you stumble across it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, Jonah chapter 3, I'll give you a couple extra moments to find that. <clears throat> but when you have found it, I'd like you to stand, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Jonah chapter 3, and we'll read the last verse in, in uh, chapter 3, and then we'll begin reading also into, well into chapter number 4. So Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 10 is where we'll begin. The Bible says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Notice chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. <clears throat> and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, uh, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, uh, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before thee into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take away, or take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Notice what God said in verse 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there, he made, and there made him booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up uh, over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Notice verse 9, God asked the same question. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Very interesting story here, and I want to, the, the title of the message is simply this, Jonah, are you out of your gourd? <laughs> Jonah, are you out of your gourd? And I want to preach on that subject, and there's, I believe there's some lessons that we can learn from from Jonah's attitude here in this passage. Let's pray together. We'll jump into the message. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege we have to teach and preach your word and to, to live in a country where we can gather uh, freely uh, to, uh, to hear the preaching. I pray that you'd help us to take advantage of it. I pray that you'd apply, help us to apply the truth to our hearts today. I pray that you'd still our thoughts, help us to set aside anything that would be a distraction during these few moments that we'll spend together, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> One of the most bizarre stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah. If you think about it, uh, so much happened in such a brief span of time. These four small chapters in this uh, book that's tucked away in the Old Testament. Here's a man who runs from God. He is swallowed by a whale. 
and lives to tell about it. Now that, that right there is pretty bizarre, you gotta admit, that doesn't happen every day. And, and of course, I, I, like what the, uh, uh, I like what the old preacher said one time who uh, somebody came to him, an agnostic came to him and said, uh, you really believe that story that says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? He said, yes sir, I do. And if God said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe that too. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, you know, the truth is, if God said it, it's true. And uh, Jesus reiterated it over in the book of Luke where he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so also must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. It was a picture of Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection. The fact that Jonah was swallowed by this whale and three days later spit him up on dry ground. And then Jonah gets up and he, he goes back to Nineveh to, uh, to do what God had asked him to do this, to, to begin with. And the Bible says, in fact, he made it to Nineveh in a day's journey. He hightailed it to Nineveh. I mean, he got back there. He didn't waste any time getting there and uh, to do what God told him to do. And, uh, and then on top of all that, Jonah preaches one of the most unbelievable revivals in the history of mankind. The Bible says that everybody in Nineveh got saved. Everybody in Nineveh repented. It's unbelievable. And we'll get to that here in just a moment, but that's a pretty full story for just a few pages in the scripture. And there's a lot about Jonah that we can all relate to. Jonah is, uh, he's one of those characters in the Bible that when I read about him, I see a lot of myself in him. And, uh, and some of his mannerisms and his actions and so forth, his attitudes. All of us love to read about Jonah receiving a second chance from the Lord. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is that, uh, that verse that says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, the second time. The second time. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of the second chance? Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us when we mess up the first time? or the second time, or the third time. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is merciful, a God who is, uh, who is gracious, a God who does not give us what we deserve? I love this, the, the passage over in Psalm 139, I believe it was, I was reading it this week, where the psalmist said, If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? In other words, hey God, if, you were, if you're going to count my sins against me, if you're going to keep track of all my iniquities, then none of us are going to be willing or able or, or deserving to serve you. We understand we're not worthy, but God uses sinners because that's all he has to choose from. And uh, what a blessing to know that God gives us second chances. But there's another part of the story of Jonah that sometimes escapes our attention. It begins when God keeps his promise and withholds his hand of judgment on Nineveh. You see, the deal was this. God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to cry against that city, and they have 40 days in which to repent. And if they don't repent in 40 days, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. I'm going to do the, I'm going to, now, how he was planning on doing that, I don't know. Would it have been a destruction similar to that of Sodom and Gomorrah over in Genesis chapter 19? I don't know. But God said Nineveh has 40 days to repent, and after that, I'm done with them. And so, of course, uh, Jonah, after the episode with the whale was over with, he gets into Nineveh, and he begins to preach, and he preaches passionately, and he preaches forthright, and, uh, and boy, there's a great... Revival. I mean to tell you, they had revival. The Bible says that the king proclaimed a fast and sat in sackcloth and ashes. I'm talking about the head honcho. <laughs> I'm talking about the king of Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. This was a big city. This was not, uh, this, was, this wasn't, you know, uh, there's a town in North Carolina called Frog Hollow. 
I kid you not. Uh, Frog Hollow, North Carolina, population 50, thereabouts. Uh, you know, but uh, this wasn't some bump in the road town. This was Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And here is the king of Nineveh who proclaims a fast after Jonah begins to preach and says, Hey, we're all repenting. We're all getting right with God. And, uh, and God, true to his word, said, You know what? Hey, those, those folks mean business. And I'll spare the city of Nineveh because those folks got serious about me. By the way, I believe that God, uh, I believe God is serious about and merciful towards sparing our country if enough of his people got right. Uh, but, uh, but the entire city of Nineveh repented. You would think that Jonah would be thrilled about what had happened. You would think... I mean, if you had been the evangelist, in this case it was Jonah, but if you'd been in Jonah's shoes and you preached and everybody got saved and there was just a citywide revival sweeping the place, you would think, man, this is awesome. <laughs> this is great. This is unbelievable. But wait a minute, notice that wasn't Jonah's reaction. His reaction was uh, indicative of his spiritual condition. I want you to notice with me, if you will, in Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, but it displeased Jonah, notice the next word, exceedingly. And he was very angry. Huh. You would have thought that Jonah would have been pumped. Excited, jumping for joy, shouting hallelujah. I mean, you know, high-fiving the city, the, the, the citizens of Nineveh. I mean, you'd have thought Jonah would have been excited about Nineveh. You know, Jonavah, that's uh, Nineveh and Jonah put together. But anyway, uh, they were going to name the city after him. But <laughs> the, uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, Jonah was displeased, the Bible says. He was angry because the people got right, but more angry because he was expecting to see judgment. Huh. Then I want you to notice a very convicting question that the Lord asks Jonah in verse number four. He said this, he said, doest thou well to be angry? Doest thou well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, why are you mad? Why are you ticked off? Hey, Jonah, why are you upset? I mean, you would think Jonah would have been excited because of the repentance, but no, Jonah is angry because there was no judgment that followed. He was expecting fire and brimstone to fall from heaven. He had gone outside the city to see what was going to happen because he thought, oh, I can't wait to see this. This is going to be exciting, and uh, I'm going to be first-hand witness. You get an idea of Jonah's real spirit by his reaction to God's withholding of his judgment. And God said, hey, Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? Is that something to get mad about, Jonah? Notice that the Bible never records an answer from Jonah. That's interesting. God asked the question in verse 4, Doest thou well to be angry? But you never read where Jonah said uh, anything. He ignores the question. He just went outside the city and made himself a booth so that he could sit in the shade and sat there hoping to see God's judgment fall. But we see in the following verses that God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson about himself. This scenario is more about Jonah than it is about Nineveh. Because here we see a backslidden preacher. A preacher who's not right with God. A preacher who's more interested in seeing God's judgment than rejoicing in God's mercy. In verse number 6, we see that God prepared a gourd that grew up over Jonah and he rested in the shadow of that gourd. Now, I did some research this week about 
what exactly that gourd looked like. And I'll be honest with you, there's all kinds of things out there. And uh, a gourd, uh, obviously, kind of grows on a vine. And uh, a lot of people speculate that this, this vine on which this gourd grew had these very wide, uh, broad leaves on there that, that provide a lot of shade uh, for, for folks in that day. And so uh, God was teaching Jonah a lesson by using a gourd. And in verse 6, it says that God prepared this gourd, and it grew up, and it provided shade for Jonah there in the hot Arabian desert. And, uh, and he, uh, uh, he sat underneath the shadow of that gourd. And the last line of verse 6 says that Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Now, that's interesting to me. Because just a few verses before that, you saw that Jonah was exceeding angry. He was displeased. He was ticked off. He was angry because God didn't judge the people. But now God provides this gourd that, that uh, provides shade for Jonah there from the heat. And uh, Jonah's happy about that. Hmm. He wasn't exceeding glad about the whole city getting saved. He was exceeding glad about a gourd. He wasn't happy about God's withholding his hand of judgment over the city. He was happy about a gourd. He was not exceeding glad about innocent children being spared the wrath of an almighty God. He was exceeding glad about a gourd. That tells you a little bit of something of the condition of Jonah's heart. Now notice the next verse. We're going somewhere, so hang with me. Look at verse number 7, Jonah chapter 4, verse 7. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. In verse 8, the Bible tells us that Jonah wished himself to die. Here in verse 7, he's happy about this gourd and the shade that it provided. The next day, God calls that same gourd to die and wither away, and now Jonah is whining again. <laughs> he's wanting to die. Because the sun is just too hot on his little head. Because the gourd is gone. Now, you, you see something strange about this whole scenario? So God comes back to Jonah with the same question. The same question that he asked him in verse 4. He says to Jonah the second time, Doest thou well to be angry? Jonah, you were angry because I didn't destroy the city, and now you're angry because the gourd is gone. You were happy when the gourd came and provided something for yourself. If I may paraphrase, Jonah, you're getting bent out of shape over, about the wrong things. Jonah, you're getting angry about things that don't matter. And you're not getting concerned about things that do matter. I want to talk to you on that subject. Jonah, are you out of your gourd? He said, Jonah, your thinking's all messed up. Your thinking is all messed up. Jonah, you're out of your gourd. You're out of your mind. You're, you're not thinking properly. And I want to share with you some lessons this morning that I believe all of us can learn from Jonah's relationship with a gourd. I want you to see number one, the folly of pride. The folly of pride. Why was Jonah upset? I'll tell you why he was upset. Maybe he thought he looked bad. I mean, here's Jonah. After having, uh, being spit up on the shore from being after being swallowed by a whale and being in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, Jonah gets over, over to Nineveh and, uh, and he cries against the city just like God had told him to do. But <clears throat> Now that Jonah has done his duty and the people repented, they didn't have the same reaction Jonah thought they'd have, and God did not react the way Jonah thought he would, and so now he's mad. He's ticked off. He's upset. And, uh, and maybe, maybe Jonah was upset because he, he thought he looked bad. Maybe it was because Jonah didn't get 
his way. It was pride. It was pride. The folly of pride. This episode, this episode reminds me of the danger of our own pride. You know, pride got the best of this preacher. Pride uh, got the best of Jonah, and none of us are immune from this enemy called pride. None of us are immune. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 3 tells us this, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. The question is not this morning, do we struggle with pride? That's not the question. Because we all do. (laughs) The question this morning that I want to ask all of us or that we all ought to ask ourselves is this, How willing am I to do what it takes to humble myself in an effort to keep my pride from destroying my life? Because we all struggle with pride. It's it's, it's part of who we are. It's the essence of our sinful nature. We deal with it every day of the world. It's there. We wake up with it. It's it's our constant companion. There's always that temptation to look out for number one. And I'm not being critical of Jonah this morning because he is simply an object lesson that all of us can relate to. We all struggle with pride. When pride is not kept in control... Our priorities get all messed up. That's what happened with Jonah. His pride got the best of him, and he became more concerned over a broad-leafed gourd than he was the souls of men. His priorities got all messed up. Why? Pride. He became focused on himself. It, it, it became more about what was important to him instead of what was important to the Lord. You know, Let's, let's make sure that our priorities stay where they ought to be. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to learn to die to self. The Apostle Paul said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, I die daily. I die daily. What was he talking about? His pride. Crucifying his own flesh. Mortifying the deeds of his flesh. Uh, not doing what was, what was good for him, but reminding himself that, hey, this life isn't about me, it's about him. Our theme in 2016 is magnify him, magnifying Jesus Christ. And the only way for me to keep sinful pride in check is to keep him in a preeminent place in my life. That's the only way to do it. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 18, our theme verse for the year. The the, the latter part of the verse says that in all things he might have the preeminence. Do you know what keeps Jesus from having the preeminent place in our life? Us. (laughs) Me. My, mine, ours. It's all about me. It's all about I. We, sometimes we have I trouble, you know. It's all about, all about what's important for me. <clears throat> but if I'm going, to, if I'm going to, to submit myself, if I'm going to keep pride in check, I don't keep pride in check by, by analyzing my pride. I keep pride in check by magnifying the Savior. Said so number one, the folly of pride. Number two, the failure of preoccupation. The failure of preoccupation. One of the byproducts of uh, of pride is self-centered living. One of the byproducts of pride is self-centered living. Jonah became the center of his world. I mean, think about it. Hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, got saved. In fact, if you look at the last verse in the book of Jonah, 
Jonah chapter 4, the very last verse, it talks about, it says, And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that's 120,000 persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. I've done, I've done a little research, a little studying on that, and 100, that 120,000 that the Bible says could not discern their right hand from their left, a lot of people believe those were the innocents. Those were children who could not, who had not yet discerned right from wrong. Well, if there's 120,000 of those people, how big was the city of Nineveh? It was massive, especially for ancient days. And here is Jonah, after having preached the word of God, after having preached, hey, you better get right with God, you better repent, and everybody got saved, Jonah should have been happy, he should have been thrilled, he should have been jumping for joy, he should have been saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, instead he's angry. Because his pride caused his priorities to get all messed up. He became self-centered. It wasn't about Nineveh. It was about Jonah in his eyes. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about him doing the will of God and letting God have his way in the situation. It was about Jonah pleasing himself. It was about him getting his way. It didn't matter to him that they repented. He wanted to see fire and brimstone fall from heaven or God's judgment fall in some other way. And that's all that mattered. When we become self-centered in our thinking, nothing else matters to us. That's the painful truth, isn't it? When we become self-centered in our thinking, nothing else matters. The world becomes an incredibly small place because it all revolves around me. It's all about me. Selfie is the order of the day. Our service becomes mechanical when our life becomes only about us. Hey, you say, well, you know, preacher, I'm involved in, in, in serving the Lord, and I do this, and I do that. <clears throat> but hey, let's be careful that even in our service for the Lord, let's make sure that we put it in the right perspective, because it still is all about Him. It's His service. And when we get the idea that even our service for the Lord is, is all about us, then we get to thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm irreplaceable or, you know, I'm, I'm indispensable. No, no, no. It's about him. It's about him. And when that happens, our service sometimes becomes mechanical and we lose the heart for it. Our relationships with others suffer when we become selfish. Our relationships with others becomes or, or suffers when we become selfish. Our patience wears thin when we become selfish. Our feelings of, uh, are, are of supreme importance when it's all about us. Hey, <clears throat> I'm simply saying, let's, let's forget about ourselves long enough to understand that there's bigger fish to fry out there. Let's forget our, about ourselves and understand that, hey, it really is all about Jesus Christ. There's a world out there that's bigger than any of us that needs Christ. And, and boy, we ought to be focused on Him and, and His work and His ministry. So we see, number one, the, fall, the uh, folly of pride. Number two, the failure of preoccupation. And then I want you to see, number three, the fallacy of pleasure. The fallacy of pleasure. Notice what Jonah got happy about. <laughs> Jonah got happy about a gourd. He got happy about a plant. A vine, if you will. Something that proved to be extremely temporary. In fact, it was so temporary, it lasted one day. One day. And God used that object, that gourd, that vine, as an object lesson to teach Jonah something very valuable about himself. And the reality is, we have a tendency to be the same way. We get really happy about temporary things, don't we? 
We get really excited about things that aren't going to last very long at all. We get really pumped up about things that are just here today and gone tomorrow. In the book of James, the Bible reminds us that our life is like a vapor. It's here for just a little while and then it's gone. It vanishes away. We're in love with the things of this world that, that won't matter five seconds after we're dead and gone. Think about it. Think about it. What is it that is so important to you right now and how important is it going to be within a matter of a couple of seconds after you breathe your last breath? It'll help us put things in perspective, won't it? You know, <clears throat> look, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 18 says this, While we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hey, if you can see it, it's not going to last very long. If you can see it, it's not going to be around forever because temporal things are seen right now. Eternal things are not seen. We can't see your soul. That's an eternal thing. We, we, you know, we, we, we can't see your spirit. That's an eternal thing. Hey, all the things that we crave and all the possessions that we crave. Hey, I'm not against you having things. I'm not against you, uh, you know, God blessing your life with, with, with whatever that those uh, temporal material things are. But, uh, but God uh, doesn't want things to possess you. It's okay for you to possess things. God doesn't want for things to possess you. You know, uh, was the gourd sinful? No, no. God gave Jonah that gourd to help him and to prove a lesson to him wasn't sinful. God gave it to him. But God used it to show Jonah the fact that his priorities were messed up. God is not against you having things. He's against things having you. So we see, number one, the folly of pride. Number two, the, the, the failure of preoccupation. And number three, the fallacy of pleasure. And then I want you to notice the, the final thing will be done. Number four, the focus of priorities. The focus of priorities. Every now and then, it is good for us to take our own spiritual temperature. And, and one of the benefits of preaching, one of the benefits of reading and meditating on the Bible is simply that. It is our spiritual thermometer. I measure my spirituality not based on, not, not compared to someone else because the Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. The way that I take my spiritual temperature is to measure myself against the word of God. That's why preaching helps us. That's why Sunday school helps us. That's why, <clears throat> that's why personal devotions and Bible time helps us. It's our spiritual thermometer. A couple of good questions for all of us to ask ourselves after reading the story about Jonah are simply this. Number one, what makes me angry? What is it that makes me angry? Am I, do I get upset because people are dying and going to hell? Or do I get upset because my gourd broke? My gourd withered. <laughs> My shade is gone. You know, what, what is it? What is it that makes me angry? Hey, what is it that makes me happy? The Bible says that Jonah was exceeding glad about the gourd. He got really happy about something that would not last. He got really excited about something that was just here today and, today and literally gone tomorrow. Does that describe your life this morning? Are you exceedingly happy about things that are temporal? Are you exceedingly happy about things that won't last. Hey, you only get one shot at life. You only get one shot at it. Only one life, so soon it will pass, and only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. That's it. One day we're all going to stand before God. 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll stand at the Bema seat, the, the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says that that, that, uh, that won't be a judgment of our salvation because that was taken care of at, at, uh, at Calvary. And, uh, and the day that you trusted Christ, your sin debt was paid in full by the blood of Christ. What a wonderful thing. But as a child of God, we're going to stand before God one day, stand before Christ at the judgment seat, and we'll give an account of what we've done for him. And the Bible says that our works will be tried so as by fire to prove them. Hey, are you doing anything today that is of eternal value? Are you doing anything today that's going to matter five minutes after you breathe your last breath on this side of eternity? Are you doing anything that's going to withstand the, 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 the fire of judgment? Hey, I want my life to count for Christ. Well, you ought to want your life to count for Christ. Jonah got really upset about things that didn't matter. He got really happy about pleasures that were only around for a little while. Hey, I'm, I, I understand, and I, I believe that God loves to see us enjoy life. And, and, uh, but, but hey, you know, am I more upset about the plight of the unsaved or over my favorite team losing a ball game? It's a pertinent question. Am I more upset about, about souls going out into eternity, lost without God, without Christ? Am I more upset over that than I am my favorite NASCAR driver, how well he does at Daytona today? Somebody said, oh, yeah, that's today, isn't it? <laughs> I just reminded you. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great question. Does it disturb me more that our country's in a state of spiritual decline or that someone said something that hurt my feelings? I'm simply saying, let's get our priorities focused. Let's make sure that we're looking through life, through, we're looking at this life through God's eyes of value. I'm simply saying that we ought to take our eyes off of ourselves and see the big picture. Jonah was so self-centered that he missed being the blessing or he missed the blessing of revival when it came to an entire city. He was so focused on himself. So focused on himself. The focus of our priorities. I understand, and I want you to understand this morning, that your life will, will, will be gone just like that. Just like that. Yesterday, after the, uh, after the service for Mrs., uh, the memorial service for Ms. Kittles, I was talking to to Brother Curris. Brother Curris, I hope you don't mind me using you as an illustration this morning. Sitting down talking to Brother Miss Curris over in the gymnasium. We're enjoying the meal there, and I appreciate all the folks who helped out with that. And, and uh, I, said, uh, I said, Brother Curris, I said, uh, how, old were you, how old were you when you got married? He said, I was, he did the math. It took him a few minutes to do the math. That's okay. But uh, uh, he came to the conclusion he was 46 years old when, when he and Pat got married and tied the knot, and, and well, what a great couple they are. And, and, uh, and I, I looked at my wife and said, wait a minute, we're 46. We're 46. And he said, he made a statement that I can't get away from. He said, that was 37 years ago, he said, it goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. Can I help all of us this morning? Your life is going to go by very, very quickly. Very quickly. 
And we can waste our days. We can, uh, we, we, we can just uh, fritter away our opportunities. We can, we can ignore the things that God brings into our life that are truly important. And we can get upset about things that don't matter. We can get happy about things that don't matter. We can get angry about things that don't matter. We can get our priorities all messed up. But one day we're going to come to the end of this ride called life. And we're going to stand before a holy and a just God. And he's going to want to know, hey, did you make the most of the opportunities I gave you? Or did you get your priorities all messed up? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has given you some opportunities. And today's another one of those opportunities. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says today is the accepted hour. Today's the day of salvation. More than anything else, God wants for you to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. God wants you to come to Christ. He wants you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you can today. You can today. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't let this one slip away. Don't walk out these doors today not knowing for sure that heaven is your home. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes.